wasn't. He just began to woo me out of my shell and out of my wounds. And there was such mercy in that, you know, because I really couldn't come in and just paste a smile on my face and <laughs> do the whole, you know, whatever was expected at any given time. And uh, he's been so kind to me through the years, and I'm just so grateful for him. You know, he meets us where we are. There's no one like that. We will try to love each other in this life. You know, if we know him and if we have experienced his love, then we will try to love each other in this life. And, and we will have moments of succeeding in that agape love that God gives, you know, because it's a whole other kind of love than storage or arrows or uh, philia the other loves because agape love is something birthed in us by the spirit of God but no one will ever meet us exactly where we are no one will ever know us the way he knows us no one will ever love us right in our wounds and our fears you know like he does blessed be his name hopes and dreams into a pool of tears waiting for a word from you so
So I've been uh, actually working on a new album, and uh, it's been such a blessing to go into the studio and, and do music because, I don't know, I think music is like worship music. It's like the deepest language of my heart, you know? And so to make um, music to God, you see, I was a piano bar player. <laughs> Uh, for a while and um, at a certain point when the Lord began to call us into ministry I I really felt him calling me to let go of all the other music and to sing and write for him and uh, anyway the, song, the, the album, as I'm working on it, is full of these songs that are kind of um, more devotional than story, actually, in nature. And this, the album is called Grace. And I feel like that's the season that Michael and I have been in, a season of grace. Shepherd, you make me whole. 
My daughter has uh, been so gracious to put all um, my songs um, into a iPad, but I haven't put the chords on them yet, so that's a little bit of a problem, you know. Anyway, so I am a Jewish believer, for those of you who might not know me, and um, I... Uh, I started life in the Fairfax district of Los Angeles, which was a very sweet place, um, very Jewish place. And um, it was kind of the, 
neighborhood where everybody knew everybody, and my family was very comfortably nestled there. And um, it was a very sweet time in my life. My mom put on these fairy tale plays, and I was always the princess, and I quite enjoyed that. And um, it was it was good. It was good in a very human way of being good. It was it was good, you know. But we moved when I was eight, and we moved to a very different neighborhood because my parents were like many you know, of that time, um, looking for the bigger and the better, um, looking for something that they didn't have when they were growing up. Both my parents came from a lot of poverty. And so um, my father was a florist, and, um, and so, you know, we moved into the San Fernando Valley, which was just growing up at the time. And before I had a chance to um, connect, make friends, uh, find my way in class and all of that. Um, I, had, uh, I had an episode, I had a moment um, that changed my life forever. And, um, you know, God is a redeemer. And all of us have stories like mine. You know, some are larger, some are smaller but just as powerful and just as, mm, you know, sometimes just as dark or darker. But God is a redeemer. That's the beautiful thing, you know. So I, I bent down to pet a dog um, this neighbor had out, and I didn't know anything about this dog because I was the new kid on the block. And he said it was okay. And I bent down to pet the dog, and the dog ripped open my face. And um, it took 100 stitches to sew my face back together, which was never quite the same. And, <clears throat> and I was never quite the same. It took about a month to heal. And then I went back to school, and I was still the new kid. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, human nature. You know, we like to say that kids are so innocent, you know when they're innocent, and then kids are <laughs> not so innocent when they're not so innocent. Um, there was actually a petition uh, uh, that was circulating the other day. Uh, my cousin and I happened upon it outside a, a drugstore, and uh, the petition was about uh, bullying and um, trying to get more information into schools about bullying. and. Um, so I came back to school with a big, long red mark on my face, and the kids called me Scarface. And it wasn't once, and it wasn't twice, and it wasn't a year. It was, it was like three years, and it was like every day. And pretty soon, I believed them. I just thought that that was kind of who I was, you know, because I looked in the mirror, and that's what I saw with my eyes. And then that's what I heard with my ears. And we're like that, aren't we? You know? We're very like that. You know? Even in the Lord, we're still that way, right? You know, we're supposed to not judge by appearance that way. But we do. We still do. Before we even know what's going on, we're looking. And we're making an assessment. You know? And we're listening and we're making an assessment. I know I grew up with it. I totally grew up with it. 
I remember my father trying to comfort me, and he said, you know, you'll have another surgery, and then you'll be beautiful again. I know he meant well. But all I understood was that I was ugly and that I was not valuable. And I made my choices from that place. And I trashed myself in so many ways, I can't even tell you, you know. But I didn't do people, you know. I remember as a little kid, you know, I'd be in the drugstore and my mom would be getting stuff, you know. And then there'd be the sound of a classmate, you know, come to my ear. And I would just make sure I was invisible. I was very good at being invisible. I learned how to do that real well. And I also learned how to reject people before they rejected me, you know, because that was also a weapon. So I, I stored up all these things, you know, and uh, I came to the Lord. I was 27 on that Yom Kippur, and I had no idea what it meant to ask Jesus in my heart. I really didn't understand. I didn't know what sin really was. I thought, well, okay, I stole a bag of chips one time, you know. I didn't like to lie, you know, so I thought, I don't know what sin is, you know. God in his great mercy, you know. He meets us where we are, you know. And he loves us long before we ever love him back. And he's calling our names before we can hear him. And then we begin to hear. We only begin to hear as he begins to work on our clay. Passing shadow on the earth 
Hiding from the way I walked in Wounded by the sin I'm locked in I feel tears on my skin Melting me from within Roll this heart of stone away Make me flesh and bone today Touch me with your mercy, Master Conform me to your skill very much a loner even when I came to faith. And even when we began the ministry, I was very much a loner because I didn't know how else to be. And God was very gracious with me. He was long-suffering, <laughs> you know. I had some friends who were... Um, kind of like my oasis in the Lord. Pastor and his wife in a little little uh, section of L.A., very rough section of L.A. And I would, I would go down there on Sunday nights. And the Lord would work on me there. And after the service, you know, um, 
they would invite me back to their little house. They lived in a parsonage. They live in a parsonage still. <laughs> um, and uh, sit me down for some tea. And so into me. You know, because the walk is never meant to be alone. But people are so... <laughs> You know, we're so wounded, we're so, we struggle so, you know. And yet our healing comes in the horizontal. It doesn't all come in the vertical. It has to come as we bump heads and we bump hearts and we learn how to say I'm sorry and we learn some humility and we bend. They taught me a little bit of that at their table, sometimes until midnight or one in the morning, and they just taught it by being themselves, by just being there. At the table, drinking tea and telling stories sharing all the bits of glory i have known at the table you were patient you were kind you showed me love i couldn't find out on my and feet love grows when we reach out to those who need at the table somewhere between the spoon and cup there was a space just wide enough for hope to grow at the table when I thought I'd reached an end, you showed me how to start again, and now I know. Life flows from the wounds in his hands and feet. Love grows when we reach out to those who There were times 
sounds of laughter and of tears, moments I felt God draw near to me. At the table, I could almost see his face, touch his hand and feel the grace he offered me. If life flows from the wounds in his hands and feet, love grows when we reach out to those who need. At the table, at the table, at his table, So we had begun a ministry called Improbable People Ministries because um, we didn't think we were the polished uh, stars. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we just, we love the fact that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, as Paul talks about. And Michael and I were all of that and more. Um, Michael and I, uh, we met in a songwriting class, and we were attracted to each other's lyrics. Very interesting thing. And, uh, of course, it, it helped that Michael had red hair and freckles and green eyes. And... Because it's very much about the eyes, isn't it, you know? So, um... But um, we didn't know what, we, what kind of ride we signed up for when we began the ministry. Um, we were fortunate, um, very fortunate, very blessed, certainly God. <laughs> I was invited to do a song at a Jews for Jesus in gathering. And um, friends of mine had said things about our songs that Michael and I had written. And um, <laughs> I was so done with the music. I was so done with the music business. I was so done with people making promises. I was driving up seven hours to do one crummy song that we wrote. God took that one crummy song and he multiplied it into a ministry that I could never even dream of. Um, <laughs> I had no imagination for, had no heart for, had given up on. <laughs> and um, we've been blessed these many years. We've been blessed these many years to share our songs and share our hearts, you know. And who knows what will happen, you know, but uh, God is in charge. Along the way, about 12 years ago, God, <laughs> God began to talk to me, actually probably 14 years ago. He began to talk to my heart, very reluctant heart, very, you know. Even after all we'd gone through, um, you know, he began to talk to me about love, about how we need to love one another, how we need to see each other with his eyes. And he did this by showing me that he had a heart for the German people, 
And I did not. You know, he began the lesson very early on, honestly, when I think about it. He began the lesson with my father. In forgiving my father, I began to understand that God sees people so differently than we do. Not just because of our eyes and our ears, which are faulty, or our hearts, which are also faulty at times. Or as Jeremiah said, all the time, above all, <laughs> deceitful. Um, but that God, his heart is that no one would perish, that all would come to know him. And that he sees in ways that we don't see. He sees the man in the monster. We see the monster. And we pull away and we walk away and we condemn and we judge and we make a decision based on what we see and what we hear, whether it's a big monster or a little monster. But God, see, he sees the man that he made in his image and he made out of love. He sees the man that he wants to save. That's who he sees. And my vision falls so short of that, you know. I'm so humbled by that, not just with the Germans, but the Palestinians, with the people in our own country. But see, he's always looking for the people he made in his image to call them back to himself. I didn't get that. That's really hard to get. But he began to teach me by giving me a project, you know, which is what Stuart was talking about, you know. And called this project a tour of roses. And I couldn't do it alone. That was another thing, you know. You can come and do a concert, but this was different. And I had to bring a group of people with me. What people would come with me? I didn't know. And, uh, and the people I thought would come with me did not. And the people that God assigned to come with me came with me. And so the lessons were so many, you know, because even in a group, even in a team, we had to look at each other with love, find the way to love the person who is on the team, find the way to get through all the petty differences that we have because there's so many. And to love like the Father has loved us, to agape. And you know, I have come back again and again, especially in this season, to John 17. I just, I just can't get away from it because my heart feels so I don't know, hurt to see the believers in the body ripping each other up over lesser things, over such lesser things.
words and receive one who won't forsake or leave my father just as you are in me may they to um, I had to unfriend somebody that I have known um, before we began the ministry I have known this person some 35 years 
somebody I love and I respect and who's a brother and everything, but because of the way he was speaking um, about things and the way he um, hurt people in the process and his, his way of speaking, there was no love there. There was no mercy there. There was no space there for grace. And uh, I just couldn't look anymore at what he was saying, you know. And we had a very good conversation afterward, you know, which was heartening in some ways. But, but there's so much ripping and tearing among people who are called to love one another, and that actually is the witness to the world that Messiah has come. And in the church that I go to, there is all this ripping and tearing. Like, have we forgotten that this is only temporal? All these things are temporal. We belong to an eternal kingdom, and we're bound together by the blood of the Lamb. And that's stronger than anything else. And, and we can differ and we can disagree, but we are still family and we are still bound by this blood and by his love. I couldn't understand. I have a friend, and I'm sure you know you have similar experiences, but I, I have a friend, she leads the prayer in our church, you know, and she was talking about how one of our friends had passed away from the virus and she said that what really disturbed her was when she said, you know, she told some people who didn't know in church that he had passed away, and they asked what from, and she said, and she knew the next question would be something that's completely irrelevant. This man died. He's with the Lord now, and the people around him are missing him. Where are our sensibilities? Last summer, um, our pastor, <laughs> he began pastoring our church. Our, we had a senior pastor, and he stepped down after 40 years, you know. He really picked a really good time to step down, you know. <laughs> and, and this um, young man... Um, well, younger than me anyway, but um, he took up the reins of leadership, you know, in January last year, <laughs> having <clears throat> no idea what was going to happen. You know, um, we did a tour of roses last year also in Paradise, um, the town that suffered the terrible campfire where 90% Actually, more than 90% of the town was decimated. We went there and we gave out roses there in paradise. And, um, and we prayed for several people. And people came to the Lord. It was very beautiful. It was really a beautiful time in paradise. In the ashes, in the ruins, God was restoring. He was raising up beauty. He was doing a beautiful thing. But anyway, our pastor, he, our young pastor here, he took up the reins, and he, <laughs> and as the year progressed, it got very interesting very quickly, you know. And so we had some services outside, you know, in the parking lot, and 
And then um, he started uh, a series on Second Chronicles 7.14. It really touched my heart. And I thought, where's the humility? Where's anybody's humility? Where's, I, I mean, have we forgotten who God is? I mean, we're so blinded by our sensory understanding, you know, that we have forgotten him. And so I wrote this song because of his message, you know. And in the process of um, the series, he asked me to share a little bit about, you know, um, the, the, the line, uh, you know, he picked a line for everybody to share, different people to share. And um, my line was... Um, I'm looking for it, uh, and turn from their wicked ways. And I thought, we still don't get it. We don't get what sin is. It's so deep inside us. And we don't like to look at it, and we don't like to talk about it, except about other people's sin. <laughs> but we don't like to look at our own sin. And I think it's freeing to do so, actually, because it's humbling. And it brings us back to reality that he's God. We're not.
hardened our hearts Slow to forgive and dying to live Oh God, my God, we've wandered away Lord, bring us back now, we pray So you might ask me what I was doing during the COVID season, which we are still probably in. And, um, you know, I was, I was kind of crazy, you know, I wanted to do something because I'm a doer, you know. And, um, and so many times God had to sit me down again. <laughs> My board had to sit me down a few times. You know, and the truth is I don't want to do unless God is doing, you know, unless he's inviting me to do with him. <clears throat> so I had a lot of thoughts, you know, many, many, many thoughts. And one day I was at the eye clinic near uh, where we live, and Michael had taken me because they were going <laughs> to, you know, one of those age things, right, going to do the eyes and everything. And uh, Michael said, oh, that's interesting. He said, there's a Planned Parenthood there. And the eye clinic was like on the edge of this whole, sh you know, shopping center kind of mall area. And um, very sad mall because it's like most of the offices had closed. Maybe 40% inhabited. The eye clinic was really big and the Planned Parenthood was really big. And uh, both were doing business. And um, I, I looked around, I peeked around the corner and I looked at the Planned Parenthood and I, I was like, uh, okay. 
and God brought me back there. And then he brought me back. And then I came back with my keyboard. And I just began to worship him in that place. And then I asked a friend of mine to come and worship and pray with me in that place. And it wasn't easy, you know. Um, there were protesters there of all kinds, different shapes, different philosophies about protesting. And um, I have never been a fan. It's uh, actually, I, I hope this isn't upsetting, but I haven't really been a big fan of, um, you know, the expression of uh, a lot of the pro-life movement. Um, I, um, I went through the process of an abortion and I gave up a child for adoption before I ever came to the Lord. And in both of those situations, God was reaching for me. And I knew it then, and I knew it even more after I came to faith. And I knew, um, I knew all the struggle of what it was to make a choice to have a, an abortion and what it was to give up a child for adoption. And I knew that it was very, um, it was very emotional. There's a lot. There's a lot there. There's a lot. And um, so he really put on my heart mercy. Mercy. Mercy for everybody on the field. Mercy for the protesters I don't agree with. Mercy for the staffers of Planned Parenthood. Mercy for the women. Mercy for the men who are pacing and don't know what to do with themselves. For the mother who brought her daughter. For the husband who brought his wife. For the best friend. For the cousin. For the homeless family that didn't think that they could do that situation. And it's been a a remarkable experience for me and my friend Joyce, who has been with me in this, to again see love played out in a different arena. You know, I have spent 12 years doing a tour of roses, and I hope to do more, but, you know, taking a tour of roses to Poland and Germany and to Bethlehem and Jerusalem to Northern Ireland, Belfast, and, you know, ministered the love and the healing and grace that God wants to, you know, touch people with through giving out these beautiful long stem red roses as a, as a tangible thing, a tangible display of his extravagant love. See, because I, I believe that love, his love, not just any love, I believe that his love is the greatest gift. It's, it's, it's the greatest gift. At the end of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is agape, is love. God's love. This is the greatest thing. And it goes on, and you know, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 13, it goes on to detail that if you do this and you do that and you don't have love, it's really pretty meaningless. So you can do all the right things. You can say all the right things. You can... But if that love is not alive in you, then it's empty. 
It's hollow. You know, it's not something you can suck it up and make it happen. It's something happens as you let him love you and you love him in return. It is really, in essence, abiding. And so if we're pursuing everything that we do with love, then the people who are inside the clinic doing the deeds that we don't want to think about, we don't like, and we, we, are, we feel, you know, they are, you know, very wrong, and I, I agree. But there are people who he loves. He loves those people just as much as he loves the women with the babies, just as much as he loves the babies. He loves them. And he wants to reach them, and they won't be, they won't be reached by anger or judgment, they'll be reached by mercy. It says in 1 Corinthians 13 again, that love, his love, never fails. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai One crimson cord binds us together in love. One faith, one hope, one promise unites us forever. One life will delight us forever in love. One crimson cord binds us together in love. One faith, one hope, one promise unites us forever. One life will delight us forever. Yeah. 
Abba, I do pray that you would bring us together, Father. Um, I don't know the hearts of the people in this congregation uh, so well, but I know that you do. And I know that you have, in a sense, threaded us through with a crimson cord of your love. And you've bound us together, Lord, as much as we might try to rip apart God at times that you've bound us together. And this, this is the witness in this time of such disunity and, and, and isolation and, and division, God. And, and you said that any nation divided against itself, you know, can't stand. And I ask, Father, that, that you would unite us, Father. You would help us love with your love, not our various versions of love, but to be filled up with your love, Lord God, and to see beyond our eyes and to hear beyond our ears and to listen with your spirit and to look with your spirit and your love, Lord God. Father, there is so much hatred and I ask, Father, that you would anoint this congregation, this group of people. You would anoint us afresh with your love. And I ask it in your name and for the sake of your name. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.
God bless you guys. Thank you, Sally.